Hey guys, uh, we just wanted to give you a quick little uh, warning before today's episode. Um, there's a bit of graphic content yeah. and imagery, especially in the video portion of this. Um, and we just wanted to give you guys a heads up in case that's something that you may be, uh, I don't know, upset by or offended by. Yeah, and same old stuff. Um, we just Google this stuff. We're not experts, and we're going to swear. So, uh, yeah. sorry. And yeah, like, subscribe if you like it. Um, don't if you don't. Tell your friends if you do like it, and don't don't otherwise. And you know, if you don't like it, tell your friends. Yeah. Get a conversation Get started. A, that's that's what, right. That's what we're here about. We're about learning and making new friends with different opinions. I got him, sir. Get him while they're home. fresh from God's brain to your mouth. He's got here in this radio station. Smite me! Almighty smite The Bible is black and white. I have such doubts. Get out of here, devil! I'm a god, not the god. I don't think. And you will know my name is the Lord! We're on a mission from God. Hey everybody and welcome to Believe It or Not. How you guys doing today? It's me, Damien. And it's me, Trevor. Uh, and we're back again for another episode. We're back again. Okay, so uh, Damien, um, when you were a kid, mm-hmm. did you have Freshy or did you have Kool-Aid? Or uh, so- we had else? both. Oh, really? I okay. actually really like Freshy and yeah. you can't find it anymore. No, you can't. I don't think it exists anymore. No, I don't think so. My mom uh, used to love that stuff, so we we would have both, but I, I think I like Freshy yeah. more. Yeah, we had Freshy more often, um, but yeah, I think I, I miss it. Did you ever have Flavor-Aid? Flavor-Aid. What was that? Uh, I think it was just another one of those. Might might have been an American version. I never had Flavor-Aid. It could have just been like one of those store brand ones, Could have been, yeah. I never had Yeah, that. we even like called it Freshy before we'd call it Kool-Aid, but... Oh, yeah? Yeah, but here we are. Um, uh, there's <laughs> just... an expression uh, nowadays, uh, don't yeah. drink the Kool-Aid. We talked oh, about okay. it on our uh, Jesus for Every Occasion episode. Um, but it goes back to a man named Jim Jones. So let's talk about uh, Jimmy Jones today, Jim and, Jones. And the Kool-Aid drinkers. And the Kool-Aid drinkers. What do you know about Jim Jones? Uh, I, I've, I've heard the expression, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Uh, mm-hmm. what was that about? My understanding was it, uh, when they drank the poison Kool-Aid? Yeah. And they all died? Cyanide. Well, it was, it was Flavor-Aid. It was Flavor-Aid. It was Flavor-Aid. Yeah, it was okay. Grape-Flavored, uh, Flavor-Aid, and it was the Cyanide. Um, but I think there was some footage of him with Kool-Aid beforehand, so they, the two kind of, because they did a, a kind of a tour of Jonestown yeah. showing everybody mm-hmm. how great they were living. And there was a part where he opened up a box to show all like the, how many supplies they had and the Kool-Aid was right on the top. And that became kind of a ominous oh, yeah. thing later and on. Then, and then Kool-Aid jumped on that and were like, we want that association yeah, with our it was, product. Yeah, it was like the Reese's Pieces with E.T. thing. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we got this. Um, but yeah, let's talk about who Jim Jones was. What started this whole... Uh, thing uh, <laughs> the whole drinking the kool-aid yeah thing. why don't we start at the beginning at the i beginning. thought i thought it'd be fun to do kind of like a reservoir dog style thing where you know we kind of like jump all over the place oh yeah that, you know, that would kinda, be cool yeah, yeah kind of you know tarantino wanted to do that for um that other movie he a true romance that uh-huh. was originally the way it was and then they put it in, in chronological order because mm. he didn't direct that one uh-oh that, that one guy did all right so um, Jim Jones was born in 1931 in Indiana. I didn't even write down the name of the town. Just somewhere in Indiana. In Indiana. Uh, that's good enough. Yeah. 
His dad was reportedly a, a KKK member, a Klansman. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, Jim Jones didn't like that. He liked uh, black people, and um, one of his biggest fights he ever had as a kid mm-hmm. with his dad was when he uh, he invited a black friend over, and his dad wouldn't let him in the house. So they didn't get along very well. Um, he was a very awkward kid, social outcast, you would say. Yeah. Um, but he became, at an early age, he became obsessed with death, and he became obsessed with religion. Um Never really believing religion, it doesn't seem, but just being obsessed with the concept it was, it and was how more, it, yeah, the idea of it that he, yeah, liked, right? and how okay. it like group got people together and stuff like that. Yeah, um, couple uh, stories from people around were that he would hold funerals for farm animals. Whenever one of the farm animals would die, he would hold a full funeral for them. Okay. One report had him stabbing a cat. I don't know how confirmed that is, but they saw him stab a cat. Well, they say, uh, you know, mutilating animals is the first sign, right? Yeah, exactly. Or like one, so, of, the, one of the first signs. Yeah. Of um, a serial of killer. Of a serial killer. But yeah, uh, with the social outcast um, status, he he says that's what kind of helped him um, start fighting for the rights of black people and mm-hmm. of other minorities and stuff like that. And he became very active at a very young age, trying to fight for like equal rights for kind of everyone yeah. well it seems like this guy was on the right track initially right yeah yeah exactly um, uh where where does it all go wrong for him though well it, it takes a while it's like, it's like a like a kind of just a sad overall arch you know yeah. like where he there's always something a little off about him mm-hmm. but um let's see he got he graduated high school in 1948 with honors and graduated early and then he got married to a woman named um marcellin baldwin um and who was who remained married to him until they both died at Jonestown. Mm-hmm. Um, but they moved to Bloomington, Alabama. He attended University of Bloomington, but then he heard a speech from Eleanor Roosevelt um, about the plight of the African American, and he ended up moving to Indianapolis because he thought he could do more good there. And okay. so he moves there. He uh, he starts going to Butler University at night. Uh, it took him 10 years to get a degree, so from 1951 to 1961. Oh, wow. But this was because it was night school, and he was also a very busy bu- yeah. busy boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, let's see, um, he was a communist. He loved communism, and he loved reading Marx. And um, before World War II, he loved reading Hitler. And then the, he, and he was like, eh, no. But um, <laughs> became kind of, uh, yeah, obsessed with Marx and Lenin yeah. and, and, yeah. and all that. And just really loved um, communism. Mm-hmm. But it's also the McCarthy era, era right? And nobody so, liked uh, communism back then. No. So, you know. In that um, part of the world. He was going to some communist meetings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Brought his mom along one time, and the FBI ended up harassing her at her work. Oh, really? They found out she went to this rally, so they showed well, up at her work. they were very anti-communist for Oh, a while, yeah. So. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And then there was a bunch of, like, yeah, big communist trials and stuff mm-hmm. that made him the, the kind of fear. Was he involved in any he, of those He hearings? wasn't no. involved in any of it, but he, um, just the fact that they were going on and they had harassed his mother yeah. kind of made him realize that he might not he probably shouldn't be so vocal about it. Yeah, he so, was on the list. Yeah, exactly. And that's why he decided, he was like, well, if I infiltrate the church, I can get a lot of these ideas across. That's fair. But, okay. yeah, so he's like, his idea was to just get into the church, um, become influential there, and then preach the ideas. Yeah. So, so 
the church was just a vehicle for his communist ideas. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, so. you know, it's it's nice. It's refreshing to hear someone where it's a little more uh, bluntly stated. Yeah, that's exactly. What doing, yeah. Rather than um, it being a little more uh, ambiguous yeah. with some of these other people we've talked about. But he ran into some issues at first because it's the early 50s. So how is he mm-hmm. going to get um, a job at a church where he can also integrate, have black and white people? So, um, so he was originally hired, like, without going to seminary or anything, he was hired as an associate pastor at a Methodist church, because he gained a friendship with somebody who worked at the denomination, so that Mm -hmm. guy got him in, and then, yeah, he quit shortly thereafter, because he couldn't, they wouldn't let black people attend the church, and he couldn't stand behind that. But then, a couple years later, he went to a rally at a Seventh-day Adventist church with a faith healer. And he realized that um, they were getting a lot of money. So he hosted his own crusade and hired a faith healer to come in and got tons of money. <laughs> so, okay. So just yeah. kind of like a DIY, uh, DIY churching it kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And then raised up a bunch of money and started his own church. I guess if you can't. Uh, if you can't cut it in uh, the working man's church, yeah. make your own, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so in, uh, what year was it? Um, so, that was in 1956. He saw the healing service. It was mm-hmm. like, I think in the next year or the year after that, that he had his own rally. And then he opened the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel was the name of it. And then he eventually just became the, the People's Temple. Yeah, so he that church grew pretty quickly. He became, you know, a kind of local in Indianapolis, kind of a known pastor. And eventually he was named by the mayor to be the director of the Human Rights Council. Mm-hmm. And so he was very active there, very active with the NAACP, um, kind of really a spoken person to the point where the mayor kind of rejected appointed him, appointing him because he... He wasn't subtle about anything. He was yeah, really he was... in everybody's face. <laughs> yeah. Um, people graffitied his church and stuff, and people graffitied other areas, and he was always outspoken against that. Some reports say that he I may think most have... most people would be outspoken yeah. about people defacing your property, yeah, right? exactly. Uh, some people will say he may have also done some own stunts against their church, pretending to be outsiders to create more controversy, oh, so but that's kind of... It? Okay. Yeah. That's kind of up in the air, though, whether he did that um, after the church was gone. Uh, for a while, though, he, uh, him and his wife adopted a number of kids. I think they had one kid of their own. And then they adopted a bunch of kids from uh, different ethnicities and stuff like that mm-hmm. to create what he called his rainbow family. And eventually he called his church his rainbow family. So mm-hmm. like, there is extended rainbow family. And then his immediate family is his rainbow family. Okay. So, yeah. So overall, like, it just seemed like he was trying to do good. Yeah, but just not but, not going about it in the uh, best way, maybe. Yeah, or uh, yeah. I don't know if you could say not the best way because he seemed to be doing what he could. Yeah, he seemed to be smart about it. Like he seemed to be a yeah. smart guy. I think part of it was probably just circumstance. Yeah, and the timing. Yeah, and then if it seems to be this uh, devolving into something worse, yeah, I, you got to wonder if there was maybe some mental illness too. Yeah, that, that would contribute to his later. Yeah. Descent. Yeah, exactly. And in, yeah, into the to the dark. Nineteen sixty one he moved to Brazil mm-hmm. primarily because he, he thought it would be the safest place if there was a nuclear did I say fifty one? Uh sorry, sixty one he moved to Brazil. Uh because he thought it'd be the safest place in if there was a nuclear war. 
Why why would Brazil be the safest um, place? He just figured it was like out of the range of like all the superpowers and stuff. So if they blew okay. up each other, that'd be the safe place to be. Um, so his plan was to move there, move down there with his family, and he was going to start his own church. Yeah. But language barrier, things like that. He didn't have the same charisma, like yeah. trying to get it translated into another language <laughs> and just had trouble building a church. So eventually heard that in 63, he heard that his church back home was struggling, so moved back. He went back. Yeah, he went back. Like, yeah. I'll deal with the nuclear thing. Yeah. yeah. But then he told the church that by July 15th, 1967, um, there the world would be engulfed in nuclear war and the safest place they had to be was uh, southern or Northern California. Wait. Yeah. So it changed from Brazil to California. Why would Northern, why would that be safe? Yeah, I don't know. Like, was it just like kind of convenient and that's kind of where he wanted to live now? I guess so. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like, I guess maybe if, if you're bombing, um, like Los Angeles, no, you're you're way out of. You're still gonna get the like if you're You'll bombing Washington. Yeah. Maybe he just figured they would just bomb Washington and New York, so that'd be the furthest away yeah. in America. But it's still, yeah, it doesn't really make sense. Mm. So we ended up uh, in a small town called Redview, California, um, and but then throughout the seventies, the, the early seventies, it just grew, and he ended up in. Uh, like having a bunch of churches around California because I guess he was popular enough. Yeah, he was able to kind of spread the love. Yeah, he spread the love all over. Of and the rainbow family. Like, the, like his rainbow family. Yeah, and then he ended up in San Francisco where he kind of became most most known, most notorious. Mm. Still, though, a lot of support from local politicians. Yep. And I heard something about a conversation with Harvey Milk, although he was not really pro-LGBT. Mm. Um, which is funny with all the rest of the stuff you think that would be something he'd include too, but I mean, yeah, he, I mean he he had enough going for him. I it's guess, true, right? But there were rumors that he had slept with some of the men in his congregation and stuff okay. as so well. Some that could have been part of why he yeah. was vocally against it as yeah. well. Yeah, and any of the sex, uh, like sexual allegations and stuff throughout this whole time, mm-hmm. was very like he would say that he was like it was more like to cure them of their sexual sins. So how how does having sex with someone cure them of their sexual sins? Yeah. I'd see that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. I yeah. Don't, yeah. It's like, you know what'll cure that uh is cancer? He like is having more cancer? sex with them so badly that they'll be like, "Well, I'm <laughs> never so, doing that again." Yeah, that was disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's something to be proud of, Jim. <laughs> Well, I, hey, if it works, if it works, true. Yeah, you're doing the Lord's work. Right, yeah, that's. I think that's what the Lord intended. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, um, it's it's weird with some of these guys the gymnastics they go through to. Mm to convince people that what they're doing is right when when he's strictly telling them there's no sex outside of marriage allowed and then he's like sleeping around with people in congregation like later on um he claimed that he um he was a biological father of of somebody in his congregation and he used that to fight for them to like stay in Jonestown when his parents wanted to to get him out of there. Oh, really? And he said that no, no, you convinced me to have sex with your wife um 
and because you couldn't get her pregnant so i'm the biological <laughs> father and they're like what that never happened um so that's like that's crazy yeah 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 but so in the 70s though in the early 70s he started like being a little more open with his congregation about his mm-hmm. motives yeah so that's when he started actually talking about communism and stuff i think it kind of died down like some of the fear around it yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, um, little... it was still there, but it was like he uh, just, he worded it a little differently. And he started criticizing the Bible a lot. And he said that um, it was just a, a tool to keep the white man kind of uh, in charge. And that it was oppressive to women and to minorities. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he even wrote a book condemning the, the Bible and condemning the King James Version of the Bible as uh, a terrible book. I think it, it was called The Letter Killeth was the name of the book he wrote, okay. just denouncing the Bible. And he also denounced Christian Christianity as a flyaway religion, um, which I'm not sure what that means, but... Um, flyaway I, religion. Maybe maybe it's like, oh, everything's going to be okay in heaven, so we don't have to worry about doing anything here. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he uh, denounced God as a sky god who was no god at all. Like, basically, he doesn't really interact with mm-hmm. people down here. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually he said, he told his congregation that he was the reincarnation of Gandhi, uh, Father Divine. Uh, when, when did Jesus, when, when did Gandhi die? I don't know, the 60s? No, 40s. It was probably after he was born. After he was born, yeah. Because he was born in 31, and I don't, maybe it was before that, but I don't think so. I don't so. think that's how reincarnation works. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah, and he, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you can be the reincarnation of, like, five different people, because he said Gandhi. Well, maybe you can. Maybe, like, you get parts of them. Oh, you get parts of their soul. Like a yeah. Megazord. Oh, or like, yeah, that makes like sense. Like Power Voltron. Range, yeah. yeah, or like Voltron. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Father Divine, Jesus, Buddha, mm-hmm. and Vladimir Lenin. That's a weird mix. Yeah, it is a weird mix. Yeah. I'm a bit of a mutt when it comes to the divine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you pick like some of the biggest names and then uh just just some dude. Yeah. Who yeah, who was big in his in his way. Yeah. But, but kind of not He should have thrown like Elvis and Elvis was still alive at the time, or like some rock star in there too, oh, just yeah. to be like mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess like, there weren't a lot of rock stars. Uh but um <laughs> wait, wait, when did he say this? 77, but there weren't a lot of there, dead there rock were, stars. Oh, really? Okay, there weren't a lot of dead rock stars, but there yeah. were rock stars. Oh, yeah, there were rock stars, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, just could, just to be clear. Just to be clear, in 1977, there were a lot of rock stars. Well, in the 70s, I guess. Uh, 74 is when he bought the property in Guyana, in mm-hmm. South America. And that's what it would eventually become, Jonestown. Um, at the time, he called it the People's Temple Agricultural Project. So it was meant more as a ministry to kind of the surrounding area there, and it was meant um, like you'd go that down there for a while. It mm. wasn't meant to be like a the community at first, where they'd all just more live. like a retreat, then. more like a retreat, yeah. And then eventually it became Jonestown, and it became like kind of the promised land, the go-to place where we're going to yeah. create our own communist, perfect communist society, mm. and it's going to be the greatest place on the planet to live. Um, but that guy I was telling you about. Um, who he said he was the biological father of his child. This guy was named Tim Stowen, and the son's name was John Stowen. And it was this guy that was kind of the undoing of, of Jonestown in a lot of ways because of the... The father was? or The, the father was okay. because of the fight with trying to get their son back. Mm-hmm. Because um, 
so and eventually, sorry, everybody kind of moved down to Jonestown. Uh, Nine hundred or close to a thousand people actually moved down there, including this the son. After the parents kind of denounced the church and walked away, they still had this kid there, and so yeah. there was a lot of fight to try to. How how old was was the son at the time? I didn't actually see that. I think he was pretty young. I think he was a teenager, but I. The article I was reading, it didn't really say his age. Okay. So what happened was uh, Timothy Stowen moved down there kind of because he was already in a custody battle with his wife, and he thought that would help, and then he ended up... Uh, oh, he moved to Sundown there first with the plans and then realized that he he denounced the church too, and so it was just kind of a big fight to, right. to get the kid back. And he started petitioning politicians and stuff to try to get something done. And eventually, he found Leo Ryan, who who was who took a lot of interest in this. It was a congressman mm-hmm. named Leo Ryan. But meanwhile, down in Jonestown, he wasn't seen as as much of a charismatic leader anymore because, like, he wasn't bringing new people in because that was just how you know they're small community. Community. Yeah. The other leaders started realizing that Jim Jones was you know on drugs, addicted to drugs, was an alcoholic, was a sex addict. Like the guy wasn't this perfect person. This no. perfect messiah they thought he was. Depends who you ask, man. That and, sounds like the perfect person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm and uh, and people were hungry. Like it, yeah. they just didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough resource. People were overworked, mm-hmm. and just everybody was miserable. And um, so this congressman Leo Ryan took a crew down to investigate it. It took him a while to get permission to do this, and he had to work with the, like, the local government as well. Yeah, well, there's going to be some international... Yeah, but the local gov- government was also worried, so they kind of reached out and kind of worked oh, okay. together. so that's how it worked. Yeah, then. so then yeah. the congressman and uh, NBC News crew came down to kind of film and got permission from Jim Jones and everybody and went in there, and, you know, they show up, Jim Jones is throwing them a big party, and, like, everything's great, and then, so they interview some people, and then... Um, they find out that at first everyone's saying it's great, and then eventually they start getting a few people to announce, like admit that it's not. It's not that great. It's not going very well. Yeah. So um, Jim Jones is like, "Oh no, people love it here, but if you know people are homesick or they want to get, they want to leave, they're welcome to." So they arrange, you know, okay, we'll fly some people out. So the, you know, they said, "Whoever wants to come with us, you can come with us." I think they got about fifteen people who were like, "Yeah, we're going to go with you." Yeah. And um, so they, you know, they go out. Um, they didn't leave on the best terms. They didn't leave with a party. It was kind of an awkward exit. They get to the airstrip, and um, Joan said, told his security team or whatever to follow them and gun them down. So he gets there and um, shoots. Well, they get there and start shooting at the at the field. The congressman Leo Ryan is killed. The NBC correspondent oh, wow. is killed. Um, like I think it was five people in that group were killed and mm-hmm. a number injured and then that's when he starts telling everybody to take the kool-aid which apparently he had done a test run of before to test their faith where he told them it was poisonous kool-aid but it was just regular kool-aid okay sorry flavor aid yeah so to kind of set the precedent of it being like we're testing your faith with this yeah but then he started convincing them he's like you know if we don't take this kool-aid now if we don't um we don't drink drink this um, because we, because those men are dead, they're going to send in paratroopers and they're going to kill us all, including the babies, mm-hmm. and they're going to torture us. So this is the best way out. And, um, 
God's shown him, you know, that they're going to end up on another planet anyway, and they're going to be fine if they go all together. So he, there's audio tape. He recorded everything, too. Mm-hmm. His whole speech that he made was a 45-minute, like, it's the saddest thing you've ever heard. Oh, man. Yeah, and he, you can just hear kids crying in the background. Well, they they gave it to the children, too, right? Yeah, so. 305 kids, 304 kids died. Oh, wow. 909 people in total. Yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty... Yeah, and that's it's not a quick death, either. It's a painful death. Um, he, I think one of the la- he was one of the last people to die. He shot himself, so he didn't even take the poison. Okay, he, so he went a different way. Yeah, he went. He waited till everybody was kind of dead, and then he, uh, yeah, and then he shot himself. All while making speeches, like, oh, see, I pulled some quotes from the, um, that he said in the tape. They torture your children. They torture some of your people, our people. They'll torture torture our seniors. Uh, stop these hysterics. This is not the way for people who are socialists or communists to die. No way for us to die. We must die with dignity. Uh, don't be afraid to die. Death is just a stepping uh, over into another plane. Uh, yeah, it was just just yeah. depressing stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. And then it became, yeah, so um, they all died. And it, it just became like kind of headline news for a long time. It was just shocking for so many people. Um, cause he was still like, even after he moved down to like, after they started Jonestown, they still had a lot of supporters. There was still like rumors of dissent and rumors of, um, him not being a great person started. And there were people kind of, um, saying, no, there's something not right here, but there was still a lot of people that supported them. And yeah, mm-hmm. so. that always kind of seems to be the case with these things while there's still a lot of dissonance for it or just people not into it you're always going to find at least a few people who are kind of on board yeah there's something that was appealing about it initially that even with all the bad stuff it's still appealing to them. yeah exactly yeah um yeah it's just a sad, overall sad story yeah um that's become such a part of pop culture mm-hmm. but i guess we see that with like 9-11 how yeah. that's becomes like i remember when it happened just that feeling of like tragedy and stuff and now it's just so many things like just in our so many jokes in pop culture just about nine eleven and stuff and like mm. but um yeah i don't know well, i mean i don't know if they relate what do they but... say comedy is tragedy plus time right yeah so yeah or what a chaplain said uh uh, life is um, tragedy and the close-up comedy in the long shot <laughs> or something like that where it's like yeah and kind of yeah as you zoom out it becomes comedy I guess but yeah, yeah no it's just a it's just a rough story um, a couple of his sons survived Jim Jones Jr. Uh, is an African-American man um, JJJ JJJ who I I would have changed my name if my name was Jim Jones Jr. or at least dropped the junior and like nah no relation but he kept it. Um, I mean, I could understand the, the desire to, but at the same time, I could also see why he wouldn't change it, too. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know what yeah. his necessarily relation was. It was pretty good. Like, the only reason he wasn't there was because he was on a... Um, he was went into town, um, like, one of the major towns to try to get more people to kind of come oh, okay. along. Because he didn't see this coming, either. And one of his other sons was out doing something, too. 
and had no idea this was happening and yeah mm-hmm. saw an interview with that guy i can't remember which son it was but he was talking about he's like i don't know I'm, like the interview like he had a press conference when he got back to america they're asking him questions he's like i don't know i still in my heart i still believe in what we were doing i'm just so lost right now so confused about yeah like, how know, do you... what to do next yeah how do you kind of uh, put the two things together? Like, yeah. How do you make them work with what you thought you believed? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's pretty much what I have about Jim Jones. Oh, wow. Well, that's a sad one today. Yeah. Uh, and I don't have a Kirsten Ronk lyric. That's okay, Trev, because I have a, a, a Slayer lyric for Okay, you. great. All right. I don't think you like it. Well, why not? I like this new generation of music. Uh, this is from a song called uh, Jesus Saves. Okay. All right. Uh, you go to the church, you kiss the cross, you will be saved at any cost. You have your own reality, Christianity. You spend your life just kissing ass, a trait that's grown as time has passed. You think the world will end today. You praise the Lord. It's all you say. Jesus saves. Listen to you pray. You think you'll see the pearly gates when death takes you away. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, part of it, part of it, me thinks Jim Jones would have liked that song. Well, the funny thing is, and and it and he, but he also thought the world was going to end. So it's like, uh, yeah, as a uh, as satanic as Slayer may be, the lead singer and bass player, he's he's Catholic. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I know like half the band, like Carrie King, is like very yeah, very atheist, like yeah, militantly so yeah. You know that uh, Penn and Teller, way different uh, genre of entertainment. Yeah. But Penn and Teller, they used to have a third person, but he was very religious, and so it was very hard for them to kind of do any of their like mm-hmm. um, debunking and of spirituality and stuff. Yes, because yeah. they do do that. Uh, yeah. And Penn's uh, book, God No. Yeah. Yeah, we'll plug that one right now. Yeah. Have bo- you Have you read that yet? Uh, I've paid, I've flipped through it. I've okay. read a couple things. I think, yeah. I, I think I lent it to you like three years ago now. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Definitely long before we lived together. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, right. uh, thanks everyone for listening and I hope you enjoy your two weeks with yeah. us. Yeah. Um, sorry to leave you on the bummer note, but, uh, Hey, you know what? Uh, when we're talking about belief, man. Sometimes yeah. it gets sad. Oh, maybe I'll just end on a joke that my okay. Let's. My, I'll end on a joke that my five-year-old nephew told me when I was home last Let's week. let's okay. hear it. Uh, the chicken crossed the road and he got smushed by a car, but he was okay. All right. All right. My five-year-old nephew made that up. Okay. Have a good one. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> work, work, work. Sky moon. <laughs> <laughs>